Hi, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Biodiversity Podcast by Teasels. And on this episode, I'm joined by uh, James Mellander. James Mellander is the East uh, Suffolk District County Councillor. He's a Conservative. And uh, hi, hi, James. How are you? Yeah, good evening. Lovely to be here. Excellent. Excellent. James, uh, before we get into the main body of the uh, of the podcast, do you just want to give the viewers a bit of a background on yourself and uh, yeah, give you a bit, a bit of background on yourself for the uh, as a councillor? Yes, um, so I'm James Mullins. I'm cabinet member for the environment here at East Suffolk and also I'm the ward member for the Deben Peninsula, which is basically Sutton Hoo uh, and the, uh, the, the beautiful part of East Suffolk. Uh, I'm a new councillor. I uh, was elected two, year, two and a bit years ago. And the main motivation for me to be uh, a district councillor is looking at what was said before, that uh, particularly people weren't talking the language I was interested in, and because I wanted to not look at the status quo, but actually challenge things and do things very differently. Living in East Suffolk, which is the most amazing place to live, you can see the nature and you can see the changes happening around us. And I'm very concerned that uh, public organisations aren't doing as much as we can to try and solve the issues and try and preserve and champion the nature that's around us. Here, 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 definitely. So, okay, so you mentioned about the uh, the status quo. So, what, as you saw it when you joined, what did you see as the status quo? What did you come into, if it were? Fortunately, uh, East Suffolk has derived out of Waveney and Suffolk Coastal, two district councils that came together. And in fact, even though they weren't talking about it, the environment was actually a priority. However, I wanted the environment not to be an external force, but become intrinsic to the uh, policy formation and implementation of policy. So making sure the environment is a top priority, we are making sure that it is part of the strategic plan, which we did. Uh, and then now it means we can look at, and I'm looking personally at all the policies we have to make sure we're doing the right environmental decisions, but also looking at new policies uh, and introducing new ideas where we can start emphasizing the importance of the environment. And of course, there's three aspects to that. There's one, how we function as a council to do the best we can and reduce our carbon footprint. Mm. Two is to influence others, particularly national government, who I think are quite slow sometimes to understand the necessity when it comes to the environment. And then finally, uh, encourage and uh, educate our residents to make sure that they know the right decision. And you know, I don't particularly believe in telling people what to do, but it's our duty as a district council to try and educate and make sure people understand why we do what we do and the right decision. Okay. And then, um, and, ha and how are you doing that education? I mean, what, what sort of, what sort of uh, means are you using to educate um, the people in the, in the district? There's a couple of ways of doing that. We have something called the Greenprint Forum, which I suggest any of your viewers to have a look uh, uh, and the details are on our website. And so you can join that group where you are, you can join the mailing list uh, and you'll be updated every quarter or so with uh, uh, details of events and uh, policy ideas and larger discussions on the environment. And the important thing about the, the Greenprint Forum, it's, uh, although I'm on the steering group, it's, I'm not chairing it and it's made up of volunteers. So it's really reaching out to the community to ask what their issues are and what issues and concerns do they have in achieving their goals when they're looking at the environment. Uh, from that, we created something called Plastic Champions a couple of years ago, where you can uh, nominate yourself or somebody in the community to become a plastic champion. You'll receive training by East Suffolk, 
and then you're an ambassador to go back to organize litter pits, discuss with uh, organizations to how they can reduce their plastic. Because the problem with the environment, it's not just one person's issue. It belongs to all of us. And it's the smallest of changes that you can make in your life will have an impact uh, across uh, the UK and the world. I mean, I get palpitations thinking about these huge issues that are across this, uh, the UK or across the world. Actually, if you step back and go, what are you doing about it? And so even the smallest of things of cutting grass less in your garden, planting wildflower seeds, and something I really ask all of us to do is to get the recycling right. Mm. 20% is wrong in the recycling bins. That's 20% contamination. And believe it or not, it's dirty nappies and food and glass. Who puts a dirty nappy into uh, a recycling bin? It is beyond me. So if we can all start thinking, of what we're doing and how we behave, I think we really can solve this issue. There's a real problem with the narrative of the environment, that it's very negative and it's always doom and gloom and always someone else's problem. That is wrong. There are mm. positives and I am convinced we can turn back the clock of destruction and we can start making a difference, but only if we work together. Yeah, here, here. I mean, like I say, you know, obviously we do look, we do look to government, but it's, we can all make those, we can all make those incremental decisions, can't we? I think it's, and, and as we've seen, I mean, I, as I see in my own, in my own life uh, and the people around me, you know, you can make those decisions. You talk about recycling, you talk about cutting the grass less, you talk about um, but simple things like, you know, well, not as simple, but electric bikes, thinking about, you know, what every single journey that you make Think about a do you need to make that journey and b if i do need to make that journey you know what what mode of transport can i use to to lessen that more than anything precisely and also you know if you're going into a, a town uh, to do chores one day then you've got a dentist appointment or the opticians just think a little bit and go on one day and make one journey and just take a longer time in the town that you're visiting and you know it is tangible the changes within a year or so i mean if you think hard about the environment, you know, it's a bit odd if a rose is flowering in November or daffodils are coming out in uh, November. And, you know, we remember the outside lights of your house. You see lots of moths and insects around them at night or you're driving. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid that the windscreen used to be splattered with insects and moths. Yeah. When people remember that, they go, oh, yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. Or no. when you're walking in the countryside, the farmers now are spraying heavily, they're plowing up to the periphery of the field, and you're losing those lovely corridors of flowers and wildlife. So things are changing. But what I'm trying to articulate to people is you don't have to accept it. You can do things differently. And it's about standing up, electing the right politicians that represent your views, and quite frankly, we really have to start pushing the environment at the heart of our decision process. And it's not a binary choice. We're not choosing a tree over a building. I am convinced you can work these together. And just by thinking of incorporating nature and in particularly into your planning or incorporating nature into your decision process, you can begin to solve the issues. And in fact, new development is, is a positive because it will use new less resources, be more carbon efficient, and it's an advancement that will tend to it will care for the environment more than in the past. So there's lots of opportunities to make that difference. And if, if we go full circle, you, you, we mentioned, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast about, um, I think this year when it hopefully gets approved in government, the biodiversity net gain. Um, I mean, I mean, I, 
you were talking about passing the the local plan how much of the biodiversity net gain uh, are you taking into to uh, into that plan it's a real problem when it comes to the environment that in fact as i know from a district council that you have very little powers and the powers you have are woefully inadequate for dealing with the environment you know i can give you an example trees everyone's obsessed about planting trees now that is important however surely it's more important to preserve the trees we have because that you know a sapling takes 20 25 years to actually produce something positive for the environment as such mm. where a tree of two or three hundred years is you know a micro planet of insects and wildlife as it is so we need to start mature, making sure we maintain our mature trees, particularly in individual gardens and private land. People cut down trees left, right and centre, often for no reason, just because they don't like them. And it's just dreadful. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's I personally, I feel that a lot of our legislation at Westminster needs reviewing and making, focusing now uh, to what's important. I'm not saying more legislation, but just focusing it different. And it's mm. got to be a tax incentive. It's got to be giving incentives for people to make the right decision. Yeah. Because the environment doesn't necessarily affect you. It affects all of us. And we've got to start thinking our impact. What I try and do at East Suffolk is not only look at the uh, financial impact of a policy, but also the, we look at the impact of the community and to individuals, but we should also look at that environmental impact. Mm. And we're not necessarily going to get it right every time, but if you look at the general view and the picture, as long as you're moving in that right direction and you're on the whole making positive decisions, that's the right way forward. Mm. The worst thing is not doing something. And something that really frustrates me, lots of organisations and groups declare a climate emergency <laughs> and then there's lots of meetings and discussions. Yeah. We've got to stop talking and doing. That's really important. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, so one of the things that um, one of the things that uh, you're doing um, is, and this is fantastic, is the excuse the weeds. We're feeding the bees. So um, I'm, was again, was this your personal idea, or um, was it the council's idea, or did it come from somewhere else? No, this was my idea, along with the reduction of glyphosate. So um, the, reason, the reason why I say that is because I've seen. Um, uh council in bath and i think it's hackney council as well so you are you are leading the way they, they're uh, they're plagiarizing well, not plagiarizing <laughs> they're, they're taking taking on board so, so daniel this year we are having a focus on nature and it's called nature first so there's a number of policies we're uh, issuing at east suffolk and launching and so last year we trialed basically pardon the weeds we're feeding the bees which is finding land that East Suffolk owns that we can cut less, as simple as that. Um, and the reasoning behind that is because, you know, insects pollinators are falling uh, away. We have lost 97, you know, 97% of our wildflower meadows from the 1930s. Mm. Not only that, as, as I mentioned earlier, farmers are changing their farming techniques and eliminating those strips of wildflowers and wild undergrowth. And then also planning as allowed, and this is planning through national government's legislation, smaller back gardens and new developments. So yeah. all these areas, there's a removal of where wildflowers can uh, germinate and establish. Mm. So I just feel we need to do something. And so I looked at the land that East Suffolk owns and just said, right, let's you know, start cutting less. And we were lucky in, in the way that this is a positive out of COVID because 
because we were restricting the uh, use of our uh, Norse operatives of cutting the grass and limiting our services over the lockdown, is that actually people suddenly realised less cutting of grass is a real positive. And all these flowers appeared, and then the insects and the bird life. And, you know, that engagement with nature is something really important for all of us as humans. And so by taking that sort of uh, engagement, we built on that. Last year we had 40 sites and then this year we have 100. So ultimately what I'm trying to develop is a corridor of uh, wild areas across East Suffolk. So if you're a bee, you could fly from Felixstowe right up to Lowestoft. So that's my ultimate ambition. And so by less cutting, it doesn't mean we're cutting back on costs, not at all. And some people think it's a cost saving exercise. It certainly isn't. And we're getting over that hurdle in the 19 probably's 50s and 60s, the perception of a good council is a council that cuts the grass to an inch of its life, and it's all very regimented. The, the concept of a good council now is a council that lets the grass grow, there's wildflowers, and we embrace nature in a way that we actually haven't done this before. Mm. And the, part of the way to feed the bees can uh, signage, we have a yellow sign that people see in areas, and this explains to individuals that East Suffolk as a district council are part of the solution as much as you are as an individual. And we are also trying to do something. So if we can do it as a district council, well, you as an individual at home can also do something. Mm. So it's really important to get the message across. It's important to get that message of education of why we're not cutting this grass in the particular area, because it's as simple as that. We are feeding the bees by not cutting the grass and allowing the insects to uh, make the grass area their homes. So it's been a real positive, and that's my flagship policy at East Suffolk, uh, that is really making a lot of difference. And I get a lot of positive feedback and people have really embraced this uh, policy. We've expanded that as well through churchyards and cemeteries. We don't own many of them, but there are a number, I think, 25 that we uh, maintain in East Suffolk. So what we did is looked at the cemeteries and worked out that in fact on the periphery and the rural older graves that aren't visited, these are perfect areas to let the grass grow. And you know we give access to these uh, graveyard uh, graves that uh, are visited by uh, family and relatives uh, and visitors. But the areas that are visited, it's a perfect uh, place for the nature to uh, establish itself. And they become little pocket uh, nature reserves, often in uh, urban areas. It's a mini Minsmere in your back garden, and it's it's great. And you know, there's something slightly poetic, poetic in that sense of death in a graveyard, yet giving life to the fundamental insects and uh, you know the engagements that nature has for visitors to the church. So I'm really pleased as, as a logical extension by cutting less in uh, graveyards and the, the cemeteries. And then finally, uh, as a, a flagship policy, we're reducing the glyphosate spraying uh, by 45% this year. Uh, this is really important because glyphosate is sprayed basically on posts and uh, around pillars and structures in the ground. And of course, this is the perfect habitat for bumblebees that nest down because they think it's the base of the tree trunk. And by doing that, by spraying, it just kills any insects and anything that might be hibernating or making the, uh, their home around the, uh, the base of a post as such. So I'm really pleased that we've managed to reduce that. And I'm testing now a system which is foam. So I think foam works by suffocating the weeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So although we, um, although see, councils have used glyphosate in the past because it's a one application, then they don't need to do anything. But I mm. feel, you know, even if we have to go and use the foam twice, 
uh, through the year. That is a better way of dealing with the weeds and controlling. I'm not a big fan of chemicals and it just feels wrong in so many ways. So um, I'm really happy about this and I'm really pleased and hopefully by the end of a couple of years, we might be able to eliminate it completely. That's the ultimate ambition, but we're reducing it absolutely as much as we possibly can going forward. And so I'm, I'm curious, so the, the, the feedback that you received on um, feeding the weeds, um, uh, leaving the weed. <laughs> Pardon the weeds, we're feeding the bees. There we go, we got there a bit. <laughs> so the feedback's been uh, overwhelmingly positive for that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's people have really understood what we're doing and that's largely down to the signage and our communications of understanding, you know, and we talk to parish and town councils, we explain what we're doing. And I'm very agile. If people don't want it cut, if the people don't want it left, then I'm, I will cut it. I'll try and argue the case, but I'm not telling people we're gonna do it. We're trying to educate them and give the reasoning behind it and engage them on that journey of doing something positive for the environment. So then in that engagement process, how have you, what's, what's been the process? Have you been doing sort of, town hall meetings have you been doing webinars i mean how have you got that how have you got that message out there prior to or prior to last year actually yeah i slightly it was a bit naughty because i just went ahead and spoke to lords and found the areas and sort of rather waiting to for town and parish councils to come to me i did it the other way around i said we're not cussing that if you've got an issue then come to me rather than asking for the areas because i just don't feel i want to be discussing this for years and you know it's almost it's always a non-discussion. I want to do it. We've got to do it because it's the right thing to do. Um, however, if people don't like it once it's there, then I'm happy to cut the grass. But, you know, people, once they see what we're doing and actually see the benefits, then they get the message and it's quite clear. I mean, who doesn't like an area of grass that has poppies and flowers and butterflies in? It's got real engagement. So, you know, that's the way we've been doing it of just trying to almost force the issue onto people and go, this is the way forward. Now, some people might hear that and go, well, you know, you, you are you are you are our representative. But I kind of feel that we have to do that. You know, you could you could spend two, three years having meetings about having meetings about having meetings to get it half approved by somebody. And then before you know it, you've lost so much time, uh, so much inertia. And um, no, I, I really respect that. You know, you've got to push, you know, you have to push it through what you believe in and what's and like you say, it really is a non, if one thinks about it for more than two seconds, it is a non-discussion, really. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, normally we, we cut, we cut paths through places, lots, if it's a large area of tall or, or grass, uh, we'll cut paths through. Uh, some, there's one area, I think, in Saxmundham where they've placed a bench so people could go and sit, or if there's access needed, we'll cut, we'll cut a, 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 a couple of feet by the edge of a, a highway to make sure there's no visibility areas. But the, if you think about it, the logic, the people drive slower because the visibility shifts. So that's a positive, particularly in our rural communities. You know, people's engagement with nature means psychologically and spiritually and how they feel about themselves is important. And that's scientific fact. That engagement of just going out for a walk and seeing nature, you know, makes us better humans and makes us happier. So these things are all really positive. And I really notice now if things have been cut and it just feels wrong. And we all, I mean, you and your biodiversity and gardening design, all sorts of stuff, those pictures of beautiful meadows with a path cut through it, that juxtaposition of a little bit of cutting and then the and the tall grass is fantastic. It is, uh, yes, it's, um... I think it was the way it was described to me a few weeks ago. It's all about the edge. 
it's all about the edge. You have to have defined, you have that, I think as humans, we have to have that defined edge. We have to have that mode path or the mode path around the edge just to give that volume, that volume of grass, that volume of meadow, the sort of, if you like the carte blanche to do its thing. If it's too close and it looks too unruly, I guess, you know, that's where, you know, one could become visually unstuck, really. But yeah, um, yeah you're, you're right, because the thing is, I have a strong civic pride for East Suffolk. I'm really proud of East Suffolk. I'm really proud of what we're doing and where we live. And I don't want these areas to look messy. And you're absolutely right. A little a border of cut grass and then the meadow, it sort of frames it and it sort of circles it to show you know, this is done for a specific reason. And I think it looks really smart and pucker when you see the these areas across East Suffolk. So it's it's a real positive. And I hope going forward that you know communities understand what we're doing. They will then, you know, a couple have already come to me and said, Oh, have you thought of this area? We would like that doing. And you know, even down to um, you know, playing fields, there's no need to cut right up to the edge of the fields. You know, cut the area in the center and where the sports uh, are played, but on the edge, let it go wild and introduce flowers, and it's an engagement process with schools and children and families you know it's endless what we can do and I think it's and the reason we're doing it is because it's just being removed in other areas in our life where it was there 50 years ago it's not anymore you can all see that with our eyes that there is something going wrong with our nature and our management and we've got to reverse the trend mm. I think it's it's one of my earliest memories I'm, I I remember yeah, I always remember this. So we were, we're going to pick up a we was going to pick up a cat from sounds bizarre, but we we're going to pick up a cat from Northampton. So we drove there and we drove there in the evening. And I remember always I said, said to my dad, I said, is it snowing? And it wasn't snow. It was that it was the moths, you know, and, it, and that is in my lifetime. So that's 30 years where we've had that. I mean, it gets very heavy, but we 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 are we are living through the beginnings of an ecological collapse, aren't we? We, we if if the yeah. insect life if the insect life, um, you know, collapses, well, that's you know, and it all it all uh, rolls down from there. Yeah, but as I said earlier, I absolutely believe I don't need to, you know, create a, a revolution. We don't need to change the way we're living. We just need to start thinking more and start engaging with nature. And just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. And the, you know, the obsession of consumption and new stuff. We've got to start reusing and you know stop wasting. There's an issue with regards to the waste, uh, how we deal with waste, where people want to carry on their behaviour and just recycle more or buy electric cars so we're driving. What we need to do is consume less, drive less, and just think about our engagement with uh, the environment we're living in. It's mm. really serious, but I think it can be solved if we all start doing something. Yeah. But you know, you and I and your viewers will understand why we're doing it but a large percentage of the population think it's an issue and if you ask them they would say it's an issue but if they do do they do anything no and you can see that around and about how much litter have we been seeing recently yeah. you know it's just atrocious and i you know it's a real big issue for me because i look after waste at east suffolk I, I put as many bins out we increase the frequency of collections but you know i can't put enough bins out to cover all the litter when did it become acceptable to drop litter? If you can't find a bin or the bin is full, you take it home, please. Mm. And East Suffolk having a large area of coastal uh, boundary is that, you know, litter eventually ends up in the sea. It finds its way through the water system, you know, and when it comes and ends in the sea, that's a real issue because it just breaks down and breaks down into these micro particles and then gets into our own food chain. So we're poisoning ourselves ultimately. 
Mm. So it's 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 all it's difficult to focus on one issue, but we have to start looking at things in the whole and think how we influence you. It's the um, there was a book I think written about the butterfly effect that a butterfly beating its wings in a, a rainforest eventually you know creates something that will happen over a, a different part of the world, and it it, it is like that. Yeah, and I think from a from a, a an East Anglia point of view that um you know i think there is that you know there is the message is getting out there i mean a great organization wild east which you're yes. probably aware of you know um you know that's another organization that is is really tr trying to do wonders trying to really get the message out there and try to you know take on that rewilding message um and yeah to make what was it the, the message is to make east anglia wetter woodier and wilder and it, and uh yeah so yeah, if I if I may, Daniel, just um, for your listeners who don't know about Wild East, I'm working with that Wild East. Uh, I support them, and they support me, and I'm definitely an ambassador for what they're doing. And they're trying to rewild 20% of East Anglia, mm. and so that's engagement, particularly with the landowners, and also institutions like the district councils, like the county council, and the hospitals and schools, and also reaching out to villagers and having that pledge. When we say rewilding, it doesn't necessarily mean just a corner of the land that is just not uh, looked after. This is about, you know, removing brambles, making sure, you know, we encourage the right flowers, wildflowers, native flowers to grow, and just putting it back to nature as such. And I think it's really important. I'm really excited with their project. I support them wholeheartedly in what they're trying to achieve, and I'm really pleased and proud to be working with them. And, you know, that's just another... And that's, I think with the environment, it's about partnership working. It's about building relationships with all sorts of people across our communities and our stakeholders. So we all do something. So I was going to say, actually, so it, um, what sort of, uh, so far with this uh, this campaign, have you, have you been collaborating? I know you mentioned about Wild East, but have you been collaborating with sort of uh, local ecologists to see what's there, to, to measure what's, what's arrived since, since this campaign started? It's been really restrictive with the lockdown and through COVID, but we have, uh, I'm developing an idea of working with Suffolk Wildlife Trust to look at the areas uh, prior to uh, the, allowing the grass to grow and then uh, logically looking at where the nature's taken over and what uh, sort of biodiversity and species you see in that area after the grass has grown. Uh, this again is through the Greenprint Forum, which is our community I mentioned earlier of uh, nature, uh, biodiversity, environmentalists. And so I we will be encouraged them to create, we're going to create a sort of a spreadsheet basis so we can collect the data of what is appearing in these uh, areas and uh, then feeding it through the Suffolk Wildlife Trust. Excellent, because that, that's what is feeding back into that citizen science, because um there's so many really powerful good uh recording mechanisms now isn't there with i mean i used to be quite cynical about it you know you take a photograph of a of a butterfly or a, and it, you know back in the day the, the the technology wasn't there but it's very accurate and that and that like you said that data can be fed back into uh wildlife trusts and into sort of wider you know the wider data stream yeah and also it builds up that uh, education for individuals of why we're doing it Often the environment, and you can talk about carbon uh, neutrality, which is important, but it's not tangible. And people don't, really, you don't see it. And it's hard to understand if you do something, it reduces your carbon footprint. You know, it's a bit like, mm, so what? I'm not seeing anything to show that's happened. Mm. But with the, this campaign of less cutting, you physically see the difference. 
And then when we have empirical evidence to go, you know, butterflies have increased by 25%, or now you're getting X, Y, and Z in this undergrowth, which you didn't have before. Because as you know, there's more insects, there's more wildlife, there's more voles and mice, and that will encourage the raptors and, you know, different bird life and then the smaller the larger mammals all sorts of things are interlinked so by having that empirical evidence then it makes it even stronger for a reason of why you need to do it mm. and then something you mentioned earlier in the podcast that the 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 areas that you've set aside they're not islands are they they're connected as in there is that they they kind of lead into one another or are they they they, they are sort of islands that places that are not uh, cut. But what we're trying to do is make sure that we try and build corridors. So you look at it on a on the, the movement of an animal. So there is a massive gap so they can physically move, you know, because most of these animals have large territories. I mean, hedgehogs is a bit of a campaign I've been slowly involved with and running and trying to encourage people to allow gaps under their fencing so allow hedgehogs to move about. They have a huge territory that they uh, they monitor for food. So it's I'm not saying every area and every village has a wild area for pardon the reason for feeding the bees, but it's making sure in general when you look at the map, there are areas so you can see. And that's something we do. We keep a record of the areas, we map it on our website, the data goes to Wild East, so it then ties in with their projects. And any science uh, scientist or any university who wants to look at our data, uh, I'm happy to share. It's just really important to start getting you know, that image on the map to show all these yellow dots where we've got these areas that are allowed for, uh, in, for nature to uh, uh, populate. Excellent, excellent. So, uh, so at last year, or the first year you had 40 sites. Yep, and this now, year is 100. Wow, and then have you got a have you got sort of a projection for for next year or well i'm slightly running out of land that east suffolk controls but um, i want to keep pushing on this and i would like to see at least 200 in a couple of years time and um the more we talk about it the more people who own land become engaged so town and parish councils who own land uh, are, are sort of uh, engaging with this project and i hope very much that the county council look at their land and see how they can start incorporating our campaign as well because they're quite they're large landowners in Suffolk so you know I just hope it multiplies and everybody gets involved it's really important. So what made me think is when you were saying that uh, perhaps when uh, perhaps we need to have a conversation with people in the uh, the Cambridge County Council so there is that sort of literally when <laughs> where your line of jurisdiction ends that uh, you know other other you know um, district councils and other um, county councils can can take the lead. I mean, have you had any conversations with, uh, you know, people in Cambridge, perhaps people in Norfolk? I mean, is, is that started? Norfolk, in fact, Norfolk reached out to us and they were really interested in uh, the practicalities, the cost of the signs, how what we do, how we maintain the area. And um, I haven't heard if they're implementing it, but they had there was officer discussion through the district councils uh, and the county council there to understand our, our policy and how successful it's been. If I had my way, I have a great ambition to have the whole of the UK with these signage. It's a really great sign. It's a really engagement. And, you know, we all need to do that. However, we're not unique. Other councils are all already doing these projects in different disguises. And I know Plant Life in particular advertise and discuss with councils of how to do it and in fact they encourage really positive uh, 
planting and you can see some beautiful planting uh, of uh, poppies or daisies etc so um yeah i think everybody's coming up to speed but i like to think east suffolk is uh, ahead of the curve on this uh, and we're really making a headway into uh, changing the way we look at uh, grassland excellent and so the so the practicalities so um you know up until last year you know, you, you, you the, the 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 councils were had their maintenance contracts. This is what they did. This is what they've always done. How were you? How did you sort of engage with literally the men on the ground doing it? You know, how how did that go? Yeah. So we spoke to Norse originally and said, you know, what areas do you feel can uh, you know make a positive impact on our you know environmental vision at East Suffolk? You know that I'm really focused on this, and you know what we're going to do to make uh, something positive out of this. So Northam came back with, I don't know, 25, 30 uh, areas that they thought would be an obvious area to let rewild. And then I looked at that list, then I spoke to ward members, other district councillors and other officers, then we expanded the list to 40. And it's as simple as that. We The list goes into their computer system for when they are to cut and uncut. And so as they're doing their maintenance this time of year, which is uh, April, May, they put the signage out uh, and then, you know, they will cut the periphery or the path. And then that will be cut as normal. So maybe two or three times a year. And then into uh, early mid-autumn, the signs are removed and go into storage. And then they cut the, the grass. It's a, as simple as that. And that means then that we can look at perhaps more labour intensive uh, work for the uh, uh, operatives at Norse. For example, if we're using foam, as we touched on earlier, that will not only are you having to go around and use the foam once, you might have to do it twice or three times a year. So that creates man more manpower. So by removing them from uh, the uh, cutting regime, it means they can focus on something else. I'm really mindful not to create something that is sort of negative on cost-wise. You know, East Suffolk, is, it's important that costs uh, you know, are maintained and we focus our resources in the right direction. So. I never want the environment to be sort of a political football. To me, as long as I'm neutral or saving money to reallocate in a different project, then I'm really happy about that. And by doing that, it just means it's a no-brainer, isn't it? It's just reallocating your resources to the best, uh, the best places. And we're lucky at East Suffer. I work with a group of really dedicated councillors, not only from you know, my party of the, the, the administration, but also the opposition. And, you know, from the word go, when I first spoke, when I was made cabinet for the member for the environment, in the first council meeting, the, the thing I wanted to say, in which I said, is that, you know, when it comes to the environment, this is not political. I'm not going to fall into a political football and just mm. talking about things just for the sake of it. We're going to do something and I want to work with everyone. No one party has the answer. And the key is just working uh, as a team, as a community to what's right for the uh, biodiversity in our residents. And that really created some interest and some uh, energy. Uh, and I'm really pleased even now, two years later, it's still, you know, I have an open book. I'll talk to anybody. If you've got a good idea, we'll do it as simple as that. Mm. That's so good. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I'm really happy you said that, you know, it wasn't turned into a, a political football, you know, Labour want this, Libs want that, you know, it's, it's so good that everybody came on board um, like I say, it wasn't the, the you know the the impetus wasn't lost in just you know meaningless you know uh, you know meaningless point scoring you know uh, political football. So that's you know that's um, 
And that's really fantastic. But the, but again, one one point I want to draw out from that is you say it's so it's cost neutral and it cost neutral a bit uh, or some a few savings. Well, the savings are when I say cost neutral, I'm looking at the my environment portfolio as a whole. Okay. So they will be savings because you're clearly not sending a man somebody out as a, as a, to cut the grass. So the savings there of the staff levels can then be allocated in something else. For example, it means that I can then look at foam as a, we're a serious contender to uh, control the weeds. Because if I wasn't less cutting and using the uh, staff levels differently, then somebody might turn around and go, well, actually it's gonna cost us more to employ more people to use the foam. And then that becomes slightly more difficult to, uh, you know, to argue. You, Although it shouldn't be, it's just the way the world is. So, you know, I don't have an, an unlimited bank account of money that I can spend on these things. So it is mindful. I'm mindful of doing things that are neutral. So that becomes a neutral thing. So the, the money we save is then used on something else. And of course, it's not just money. There's also carbon. You know, if I'm not going out and cutting the grass four times a year, then we're reducing the use of you know, petrol and diesel on the equipment, the carbon footprints, the air and noise pollution, all these things all add up. So it's a, it's a, it's a great win, isn't it? There's nothing negative to this, I don't think. And I guess you can measure, you can, you can measure the reduction in your carbon footprint as well. I guess that's a metric that you can, you can put out uh, and, and advertise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have an ambition to be carbon neutral by 2030. You know, I was really pleased that not only is the environment a really strong uh, focus for East Suffer, this was reinforced by the declaration of a, uh, of a climate emergency uh, on, our, on, our, on our council meeting. So that reinforces our commitment to doing something. And as I said earlier, I'm very mindful of doing stuff, not just talking about it and having committees uh, and not actually implementing new policy. So, you know, the lack or the reduction of the cutting will very much feed into the statistics when we look at our yearly statistics of how the carbon has shifted and the savings have been made. Excellent. Well, James, thank you very much for your uh, thank you very much for your time today. Um, James, could you just want to before we uh, before we end the punk, uh, podcast, do you want to give um, tell people where they can find you, sort of your you know, uh, you know the, the the websites, sort of websites they can go to, um, your Instagram handle, so, so where, where people can find you. Yeah, so um, for information about the council, East Suffolk uh, website, Google East Suffolk, it's all there, or Google East Suffolk and Green Queen Forum, and it all comes up very quickly. I regularly have articles and write in the East Anglia Daily Times, so if you look at their website on the on the paper i have an instagram account which is james malinder all one word m-a-l-l-i-n-d-e-r uh, and yeah you know once you engage with the nature project you can see so much we're doing i'm also um a vice chair of the area outstanding natural beauty for suffolk coast and heaths so again i write for their magazine and uh, there's various articles and engagement there so uh, yeah just have a keep a lookout online and of course east suffolk has its own twitter page uh, where also there's information about what we're doing. Excellent. James, thank you very much for your time. And um, yeah, thanks for doing this. That's great. No, you're very welcome. And if you have any other questions or concerns, just give me a shout, more than happy. Perfect. Can you send me the link when you... Um...